calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things book and author related, any current events or news in the book world, discuss any of my current life updates, and discuss a quarter of our monthly book club pick, which this month is Wayward by Amelia Hart. So I hope you all had a lovely week. Another week has flown by and it's the first week of us reading Wayward for our book club pick. And thank you guys so much. So again, you know by now, but if you're somehow listening for the first time, this podcast is directly related to my Instagram, which is Grace's Reading Nook. And I got so, so many messages from all of you guys this week that you were so excited that we're reading Wayward. And then so many of you all posted on your own bookstagrams that you were reading it yourselves like for the book club. And that just made me so happy. So if you are reading and you're kind of like a silent listener, um, I definitely would love to see you all sharing your, you know, your love of Wayward and, you know, your love of the podcast on your bookstagrams too, because it just makes me so happy. It's like, I know that people are listening because I can see the statistics, but to be able to like actually see people like reading and sharing that they're reading for the podcast in the book club on their own personal bookstagrams. It's so, so cool. Um, so I love that. So thank you guys all so much for sharing your love and also for just being excited for Wayward. I am very excited and loving it already. I'm just so happy that I know one day it will happen that we'll pick a dud and it's not going to be very good because it's just, it's bound to happen. But this one does not seem like a dud. I am really loving it so much so far. And I'm recording this on a Sunday and I'm recording it pretty early in like the afternoon, just so I have enough time to edit the podcast and then be able to have it up for tomorrow morning for Monday. But I need to allow myself enough time to just like dig into it this evening. So I am so excited. So also, this is my first time fully recording using headphones. So I just as like a little podcast, like 
background, not that you probably really care that much. I record using a Blue Yeti microphone and I really, really like it. And I record on a MacBook Air and I literally just use GarageBand to record and edit the podcast. It's sticking to my roots. I'm sure I could use something a little more complex or like that would do a lot more with the sound. But I used to play around with GarageBand and iMovie back in the day. So it feels really comfortable to me. So that's just what I've been doing. And I have a pair of Audio-Technica headphones that I use when I am editing the podcast because it makes it you can like hear literally every little thing that goes on in the background when you wear the headphones. I just, if any of you know how this works, I would love your input. So I'm wearing them to record the podcast today because I don't know if it like helps with background noise or anything like that. That may sound really, really dumb. Um, But literally when we were reading all the dangerous things, the podcaster Waylon was talking about how you wear the headphones to cancel out like any background noise. And I just, I don't know how that could possibly work. And I might be stupid. And you guys are like rolling your eyes if you know anything about tech. And I could probably just look it up. But I was like, my boyfriend's playing video games in the living room. And I'm like, I don't know if you'll be able to hear that. Let me just try to record with my headphones on and see if that makes a difference, which I know sounds stupid, but we're going to see how it goes. Um, But it is really, really weird to record wearing headphones because it's like, I can't really hear myself as well because they're really, really noise canceling. Um, But let me know if you hear an audio quality difference or if you're like, please take the headphones off. This does not sound like your normal voice. That could very possibly be the case too. So that's just what we're working with for the first time today. So we're going to see how it goes. So I hope you all again had a lovely week. Um, Like I said, the week flew by. Work was great. I have my passport. So things feel really good and positive. Um, I got to see a lot of my friends and just like had a really overall like typical relaxing week. The weekend has been great. I saw some friends on Friday night and then we had another birthday party last night with a large group of friends, um, a lot of whom are going to the wedding that we're going away for. So it was great to like catch up with everyone before going on the big trip. So that was awesome. And then today I just got like a typical relaxing kind of like reset Sunday, which I haven't had in a long, long time. I feel like I've been go, go, go for so long. And I love when I can get a Sunday to myself to grocery shop and clean the house. So that's what I did today. And in book news, so I literally just started Wayward last week, and that's the only book that I read, but we have just started April, and I'm feeling really positive about April as a reading month as a whole, and I'm hoping to get a lot of books down, especially because I'm going to be on vacation. Like I said last week, I'm going to be bringing some beach reads, but I did want to share with you guys the books that are at the very, very top of my TBR for April. If you don't follow me on Instagram, I did post Oh, no, I didn't post this this week. I'm going to post it this upcoming week. I might even have posted it on Monday when you're listening to this, but I wanted to share with you guys my April hopefuls list. And it's very, very generous. Like I don't think that I'll be able ambitious, not generous. It's very ambitious. So I don't think I'll be able to get to all of these, but I just, I like a hopefuls list because it kind of like helps me just prioritize the books that I actually want to read. I have truly hundreds, like over 200 books, physical books in my apartment on my to be read list. So sometimes when I like finish a book, and then I'm like, okay, what do I read next? It gets really, really overwhelming, because I truly have no idea what to pick from all of these amazing books. So I also tend to prioritize new books that I've recently read, and or that I've recently purchased. And then 
books that I was really excited about kind of like get pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. Unfortunately, my April hopefuls are full of books that I have currently like recently purchased. But let me share with you guys what I'm hoping to read in April. First of all, on my list is Mame by Jessica George. All of you know how much I've been like dying to read this book. I talked about it when it first um, was released in Book of the Month. And then I also talked about it when it was, you know, on read with Jenna's, I think it was either January or February book club pick. Um, And then I had it as an option for our book club for April. And it was actually really close to winning, but it did not. So that's on my list for April. Um, Realizing that it's like literary fiction coming of age story really bumped it even up higher on my list. So I'm really excited about that one. Next is Stone Cold Fox by Rachel Collar Croft. This is one that I have just been literally obsessed with people recreating the cover on Bookstagram, like putting their eyes up to like, if you haven't seen the cover, look it up. It's gorgeous. And it's just like a kind of like a typical thriller, but I've been hearing really good things about it. Like everyone's giving it four, four and a half stars. And truly the cover is just like gorgeous. And if I'm being completely honest, I was it's a bookstagram made me buy it sort of book. It really went around like last month and even the month before, like everywhere. And so I knew I just, I I needed it in my collection. It's just too beautiful to pass up. Next is The Soulmate by Sally Hepworth. And I've been seeing like mixed reviews of this one, but for some reason, it's just giving me like rock, paper, scissors vibes by Alice Feeney, just with like the, the marriage sort of trouble, like we're, or even like, um, even her other Alice Feeney book that just came out that I read, Daisy Darker. Like it's almost seems to me like a mix of Rock, Paper, Scissors and Daisy Darker from the synopsis and then like the setting. So I think that might be one I take on vacation, but I'm not sure. I, again, like we're not reading a thriller for the podcast and it's been really hard for me to read a thriller at the same time as we're reading a thriller for the book club because I'm like, really getting the characters confused and the storylines confused. So it might be a thriller heavy month, even though that's the only thriller on my TBR for April, but that could definitely change. Next up is Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. And I'm kind of like, should I read Dear Edward first? which is another Anne Napolitano book that I'm literally looking at on my shelf right now. I might end up reading that one first, but I just realized that Hello Beautiful or just learned in the past week is almost like a modern day retelling of Little Women, which I also haven't read, which I know is awful. But I, of course, like know pretty much the whole entire story, seen bits and pieces of like all the movies that have come out over the years. But I do really want to read that. Again, the cover is beautiful. I might just be being swayed by beautiful covers this month, but that's okay. Whatever gets you back into reading. Then I had Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting by Claire Pooley. That was another one that I had on our list of potential book club picks for April. And a lot of people were also really interested in that one. But obviously, we ended up going with Wayward, which I'm excited about. But that just seems like one I could fly through. Seems like a really easy read. And again, like so many people really, really enjoyed it. And then last on my April TBR is Big Swiss by Jen Began or Begin or Bacon. This cover is a lot, but it is so, so cool. And it, this book is supposed to be like hilarious and like a super fun read. And it's like about a sex therapist. So it just sounds really cool. Literally don't know too, too much about any of these, except for like brief blurbs I've read about on Bookstagram and the covers on all of them are stunning. So those are the six books that I'm going to be prioritizing 
after, actually, I'm going to start reading The Grace Year, which I know all of these were in my April picks. But clearly, when I pick the four books for the book club choices for you guys to like vote on, clearly, those are like at the top of my mind and books that I'm really hoping to read in the next few months. So and then what is crazy is I had The Grace Year and then I told my boyfriend Noah, I'm like, okay, disregarding like he doesn't really stay up with like my bookstagram or my podcast or anything. And I was like, go on to my Goodreads and just pick a random book. And that's going to be my next read. And he like read a few synopsises and like things like that was just scrolling through and he ended up picking the Gracier anyway. So I was like, okay, that's one that's been on my list. So I'm going to do the Gracier. So I'm going to probably read the next chunk of Wayward tonight. And then if I have time and I want to, I think I'm going to start the Gracier next because I'm really excited about that one. And then we did have our book of the month choices come out for April and I got three. Let me know, message me on Instagram or whatever. Um, I need to know if any of you have the ability to get five books in your box. I have not been given that ability. And I know that I think everyone who's subscribed to book of the month got the like the email that said, oh, yeah, we're going to give the five book option out now. Still, whenever I try to add a fourth book, it says you'll have to get rid of one already in your cart. So let me know if you have that option. I'm kind of confused about like who they're picking and choosing to get the five book option. Truly would <laughs> on most months probably buy five books, which I know is sick. Like I need I need help with my book buying addiction, but I totally would. So let me know if you're able to have five books. But I did want to briefly talk about the selections for this month and let you guys know what I ended up picking. So the three books that I got in my book of the month this month were Romantic Comedy by Curtis Sittenfield, Adelaide by Genevieve Wheeler, and Advika and the Hollywood Wives by Kurthana Ramasetti. Again, people are killing it, like authors and whoever like creates these covers, they are killing it with these beautiful covers. When this box come, comes in, I am going to be thrilled because these books are stunning. So beautiful. So those are the three that I picked and I'll tell you a little bit about them. So Romantic Comedy is a contemporary fiction novel by Curtis Sittenfield and he's a repeat author with Book of the Month. And I, he sounds like so familiar and I cannot think of another book that he's written, which I know is bad, but the quick take here says two minutes to showtime, romance, check comedy, check. Midlife crisis, workplace antics, big feels and feminism, check. (laughs) And it says that it's a romance, a light read, it's quirky, and it's movie-ish. So um, brief synopsis, it says Sally Mills is a sketch writer for The Night Owl, the late night live comedy show that airs each Saturday. So literally, like she's a writer for Saturday Night Live, which I watch every single week or I did all the time with my dad that was like kind of like our thing. So Love Saturday Night Live. With a couple of heartbreaks under her belt, she's long abandoned the search for love, settling instead for the occasional hookup, career success, and a close relationship with her stepfather to round out a satisfying life. But when Sally's friend and fellow writer Danny Horst begins dating Annabelle, a glamorous actor who guest hosted the show, he joins the not-so-exclusive group of talented but average-looking and even dorky men at the show and in society at large who've gotten romantically involved with incredibly beautiful and accomplished women. Kind of like Pete Davidson, right? So Sally channels her annoyance into a sketch called the Danny Horst Rule, poking fun at this phenomenon while underscoring how unlikely it is the reverse would ever happen for a woman. 
Enter Noah Brewster, a pop music sensation with a reputation for dating models who signed on as both host and musical guest for this week's show. Dazzled by his charms, Sally hits it off with Noah instantly, and as they collaborate on one sketch after another, she begins to wonder whether there might actually be sparks flying. But this isn't a romantic comedy, it's real life. And in real life, someone like him would never date someone like her, right? Ugh, how fun does that sound, you guys? Like, literally perfect. Love the Saturday Night Live vibes. Love like the Hollywood drama of it all. So really excited about that one. Then I picked Adelaide, which is a contemporary fiction in a debut novel by author Genevieve Wheeler. And it says this raw, wrenching exploration of a toxic relationship and its aftermath doubles as an ode to the power of self-love. It's a heavy read. It's sad. It features female friendships and, ooh, did not see this, no quotation marks. So I know that all of um, Sally Rooney's books, like Normal People, Conversations with Friends. Her books also don't have quotation marks. And I've actually never read a Sally Rooney book, but I think I might struggle with this a little bit. So we'll see. But this synopsis says, for 26-year-old Adelaide Williams, an American living in dreamy London, meeting Rory Hughes was like a lightning bolt out of the blue. The charming, This charming Englishman was the one she wasn't even looking for. Is it enough? Does he respond to texts, honor his commitments, make advanced plans? Sometimes, rarely, and no, not at all. But when he shines his light on her, the world makes sense, and Adelaide is convinced that in his heart, he's fallen just as deeply as she has. Then, when Rory is rocked by an unexpected tragedy, Adelaide does everything everything in her power to hold him together, even if it means losing herself in the process. When love asks too much of us, how do we find the strength to put ourselves first? So again, this one also, it's set a heavy read, but there is a content warning here. And it says this book contains scenes depicting sexual assault and suicidal ideation and contains mentions of self-harm and emotional abuse. I've heard from some people on Bookstagram who have read this, that it's an incredibly emotional read clearly toxic relationships are really, really heavy, but I can most likely handle a heavy read. I I read a lot of them, but I am really excited to read that. The cover is so beautiful too, and it just sounds amazing. Then lastly, I got Advika and the Hollywood Wives by Carthana Ramasetti. And this is also a contemporary fiction. And a lot of people who have read this or just like heard about it have been kind of comparing it It has a similar vibe to Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, which is one of my all-time favorites, obviously. So it says, get a big bowl of popcorn ready. We've got it all here. Old Hollywood glamour, scorned lovers, paparazzi, and found family. I love found family. It's a feminist novel, millennial. There are marriage issues, and it's glamorous. And it says at age 26, Advika, oof, I'm going to butcher this last name, Srinivasan, considers herself a failed screenwriter. To pay the bills and keep her mind off the recent death of her twin sister, she's taken to bartending A-list events, including the 2015 Governor's Ball, the official after-party of the Oscars. There, in a cinematic dream come true, she meets the legendary Julian Zelding, a film producer as handsome as Paul Newman and 10 times as powerful, fresh off his fifth best picture win. Despite their 41-year age difference, Advika falls helplessly under his spell, and their evening flirtation ignites into a whirlwind courtship and elopement. Advika is enthralled by Julian's charms and luxurious lifestyle, but while Julian loves to talk about his famous friends and achievements, he smoothly changes the subject whenever his previous relationship comes up. Then, a month into their marriage, Julian's first wife, the famous actress Evie Lockhart, dies and a tabloid reports a shocking stipulation in her will. A single film reel and $1 million will be bequeathed to Julian's latest child bride on one condition. Advika must divorce him first. 
so juicy. You guys like literally just got chills. That sounds so good. So I'm really, really thrilled about all three of these options. And I would have probably picked two more from the April selections that came out this month. So Camp Zero is by, it's a debut novel by Michelle Min Sterling. And this was actually read with Jenna's book club pick this month too. So I'm like, oh, and that came out right after I picked my box. And I was like, oh my God, I totally would have picked that one if I also had the five book option, like so many people do, which is annoying, but whatever. Um, this says it's dystopian and I won't read the whole synopsis since I didn't pick it, but it's basically, it says, don't be fooled by the floating cities and brain implants. This mysterious polar camp riven by inequality is no utopia. It has multiple viewpoints. It's slow build, tech world, and immigration. And it's basically in the far north of Canada, sits Camp Zero, an American building project hiding many secrets. So it's like a dystopian future sort of book. Almost, I don't know why it's giving me like Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel vibes, which is like one of my all-time favorite books, by the way. It's so good. I read that in college and was like so enthralled with it. We'll end up picking this up at some point, especially because I really trust Jenna Bush Hager's picks for her book club. Um, and I just know it's going to be good. The other one I probably would have picked up was Hang the Moon by Jeanette Walls. This is a historical fiction book by her. And I am obsessed with her nonfiction book, The Glass Castle, all about her growing up and her family. God, if you want an amazing like memoir or like, you know, biography almost, it, it feels fictional because of so many of the things that she went through. The Glass Castle is so, so incredible. It's a really short read, but it, it really packs a punch. I was really intrigued to hear that she wrote a historical fiction book. So I definitely would have picked this up if I had room. And again, it probably will be when I pick up in the coming months. But it says this moving prohibition era family saga and its feisty heroine have all the grit and complexity of good moonshine, famous author, family drama, rural and literary. Another reason it, it kind of gave me like Betty vibes in a way. And I had just read, obviously, as you know, Betty, and it really like rocked my world. So kind of wanted some lighter options for this month. But it's basically about a woman or a girl named Sally Kincaid. And she's the daughter of the biggest man in town. Sally's mother died in a violent argument with her father. And when she's just eight years old, um, her father remarries and has a son named Eddie. And long story short, she's like cast out of the family for a while. It sounds really, really good. And Jeanette Walls is like, I respect and admire her so, so much as an author and as a person. So I am really intrigued to get that one and read it. Then we have The Only Survivors by Megan Miranda. It's a thriller. Megan Miranda is one of those authors where I buy her books like all the time at Bull Moose or like secondhand shops. I probably have two or three on my shelves right now, but they're never ones that I reach for. They never like really draw me in or the the synopsis, like the the plot just seems to be kind of like repetitive for me. I actually, when I saw it was Megan Miranda, which I know is bad, I was just like, oh, I probably won't get that one. Um, the quick take is a group bound by a decades old pact and survivor's guilt reunited a remote island house in this taut, twisty tale. It's a nonlinear timeline. It features teens. It's a whodunit and it's rugged. 
um, kind of sounds cool. It says seven hours in the past, seven days in the present, seven survivors remaining. Who would you save? A decade ago, two vans filled with high school seniors on a school service trip crashed into a Tennessee ravine, a tragedy that claimed the lives of multiple classmates and teachers. The nine students who managed to escape the river that night were irrevocably changed. A year later, after one of the survivors dies by suicide on the anniversary of the crash, the rest of them make a pact to come together each year to commemorate that terrible night. That actually, hold on, that actually sounds really good. And now I'm like, oh, I kind of want to read that. I love like teen thrillers or like high school drama, high school thrillers, anything like that. It really reminds me of reading like those sorts of books when I was in high school. So I'm always really drawn to them. So actually, I take back what I said. It sounds really good. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. And lastly, of the main April selections was Anna Maria and the Fox by Liana De La Rosa. It's a historical romance. And it says in this sumptuous, swoony Victorian romance, an eldest daughter struggles with responsibilities and the pull of her heart has social issues. It's a first in a series, which is really cool. It's salacious and it features siblings. And it's about a forbidden love between a Mexican heiress and a shrewd British politician. It makes for a tantalizing Victorian season. I wasn't totally in the mood for a romance, so I skipped on this one. But the cover again is like really beautiful. And I think that I would actually really love this one too. So really, really great picks for book of the month this month. Um, And I briefly before we get into wayward want to talk about the other celebrity book club picks if they're even out yet. I actually haven't checked as I'm recording right now. But we know that read with Jenna has camp zero for April. Reese's book club does not have anything out yet. It just says March is still the nightingale. And let me briefly check for Good Morning America. And then we can move on. Nope, nothing from Good Morning America either. It says it's Pineapple Street still by Jenny Jackson for March. So no news on the book clubs that I follow for celebrity book clubs. But um, I will be sure to keep you all posted. And I think that's all I want to talk about for right now. I have been talking for quite a while. So let's get into our discussion of Wayward by Amelia Hart. As always, I'll be talking about my own notes and my own theories and everything first, and then we'll get into some of the poll questions that I asked you guys this week. If you are not caught up to chapter 14 in Wayward by Amelia Hart, there will be spoilers up ahead. So don't listen if you don't want things to be spoiled. But if you just want to listen along anyway, no worries, just know that you will be getting some things spoiled. So from the get go, we knew this this was going to be from the perspectives of three women. So in the prologue, we're introduced to Alpha. Is it Alpha or Alta? I'm guessing it's Alpha. It's A-L-T-H-A. And I know the T-H can sometimes just be T, but I will be saying Alpha because I think that that is how you're supposed to pronounce it. But please let me know if I'm wrong. Um, so we're introduced to Alpha in 1619, who has clearly been held prisoner waiting for a trial of some sort. But that's really all the info we get. 
And then chapter one, we have Kate in 2019. So we're introduced to Kate who is fleeing from a very abusive relationship. And I really already enjoyed the similarities between Alpha and Kate, the prologue in chapter one. So both Alpha and Kate are held in prisons of sorts. Alpha's prosecutors coming in to take her to trial and Kate, in her own words, leaving of her own volition you know, Kate's prison is just being in this relationship in this apartment with her abuser. Um, There are also the similarities of alcohol used, both women like hating the smell of alcohol. I think Kate described wine as like rot, and then Alpha being surrounded by like stale beer smell. And then at the end, um, when Kate finally escapes, the apartment, we see that she is going to her aunt's cottage called Wayward. So I love when we get the name of the book already so soon. So she's headed to Wayward. Then in chapter two, we get our final POV, and that's Violet in 1942. And again, we have another young woman in a prison of sorts here. So Violet is 15 and has never left her family's mansion or, you know, it's like a castle, like a hall. Um, Her mother died, and we really don't know much about her mother, except that her family was from the same town that Kate said her aunt's cottage is. Also, Violet and her brother Graham got into an accident with a beehive and Graham was injured from that. And that immediately made me think of the bee brooch that Kate took before she left her apartment. And I said, I wonder if they're connected. But if it's that, you know, early on in the book, I'm thinking that a lot of things are going to be connected here. So I noted here that I was completely enthralled with like all three stories at this point and wanted to make another note that Violet had a W pendant necklace. Chapter three, we were back to Alpha and we learned that Alpha's last name is Wayward and that's where she lived in Wayward Cottage before she was taken to prison for some reason. And we learned that Alpha, or no, we found out in this chapter, we learned that Alpha is on trial for witchcraft and for causing the death of a man named John Milburn and she is pleading not guilty. Chapter four, we're back to Kate and we learn that Violet was Kate's great aunt and she inherited Wayward Cottage from her when she died. So apparently also Violet and Graham were disinherited from the castle. So that will be interesting to see how that all plays out. They are disowned from the family, which we obviously know nothing about from Kate's perspective at this point. We learn that Simon, who is Kate's um, abusive ex-boyfriend or boyfriend at this point, she was so he was so controlling over her for many reasons, but recently because he wanted them to have a baby together and Kate did everything she could to stop it. But still, she found out she was pregnant the morning she fled from that apartment and she's still pregnant at this point in the book. Chapter five, we're back to Violet and Violet's father makes her go into his study and kind of like reprimands her for climbing in trees and like being so obsessed with nature. And he's seemingly about to set her up with her cousin Frederick, who's coming for a visit from war. And she's to be on her best behavior, or he's going to send her away to a finishing school, which is the last thing that she wants. Then we're back to Kate in chapter six. And we get a little bit of a backstory on how Kate and Simon met. So they met six years ago at a pub. And she mentioned she also had the feeling of being different from other girls and never really fitting in. And that's something that Violet, her great aunt, had talked about. And also something that we keep hearing about is that Violet's mom was like very earthy and witchy and like different from other women and like really didn't fit in. So there's that ongoing theme with like women in this family, supposedly. She then recalls how her father died in this like really horrific scene. So basically they were crossing the street and she went back to look at a crow because back then when she was a kid, like crows and nature were really 
she was really enthralled by those things. So as she like kind of leaves her father's hand to go back across the street, her father pushes her into the grass. And at the same time, he pushes her out of the way, but a car hits him. So he saved her life. But then for the rest of her life, she's felt like she caused his death. And because of that, she's now like extremely afraid of nature and birds and stays away from all of it in general and equates it to her father's death. I'm also thinking so at the beginning, right when she got to Wayward Cottage, she wanted to start a fire because it was kind of cold in there. But she realized like the smoke wasn't going out the chimney. So she pushed a broom up the chimney and like a dead crow fell out of the chimney, but then it flew away like it was alive. And she shooed it out of the house and its beak like kept pecking on the the windowsill, even when it was outside the house. So I'm thinking that it kind of like belongs to Wayward in some way. Like maybe it even belonged to Alpha because she has a crow symbol on every chapter of her book. And I'll talk about this later. But Alpha's mom also had a crow on her shoulder in one of the chapters. So I'm thinking that that crow is like, almost like there's definitely like a magical realism vibe to this book. And it almost feels like it belongs to Wayward Cottage and it's like been there for centuries. Um, And then again, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of birds all around the cottage, which is super creepy. I've seen the movie The Birds and sometimes birds just can creep me out. So I can imagine, especially if Kate is feeling and has always been kind of like anti-bird for good reason ever since her dad died, seeing all these birds in the trees is like very triggering and very spooky. In chapter seven, Altha is taken into the basement of the courthouse. And she says, I gathered up the courage to do what I knew I had to do. And she scratches right under her ribs until she bleeds, but doesn't explain why. So here I was wondering if it's later to say that John Milburn attacked her so that she has proof that someone attacked her. I just don't know why else she would, she had to cause herself to bleed. I'm not not so positive about that, but I'm sure we'll we'll uncover some evidence there. I also loved when the spider came and visited her for company. Like that was just so sweet. I've personally always felt love for like all little creatures like that. So I can definitely relate to the feelings of those women there. Then she talks about living in Wayward Cottage and how much she loved it and how much she misses it. So I'm also I'm very intrigued by Grace Milburn and who she is. So it's clearly the sister or maybe even the wife of John Milburn, the man Alpha is accused of killing. Then I wrote here, were they friends or maybe even more? And Alpha killed him to get Grace to herself or maybe even save her if he was hurting her. But now that she's that Grace is testifying against Alpha, I am wondering like why she's doing that. Are they really not that close? So we'll have to wait and see. Chapter eight is back to Violet. And basically, ever since her father said that she was going to have to be on her best behavior or she was going to have to go to the finishing school, she has stayed in a voluntary quarantine because she doesn't want to get sent away. So all she wants to do, she's longing to be outside, but she realizes it's just not possible. And everyone is just starting to assume she's sick because she's acting so she's just so depressed about not being able to be in the outdoors. And she also overhears her nannies and like the people who kind of like help run the castle talking about how the same thing happened to her mother, which is interesting. Soon Frederick is coming to visit. And after that, things can hopefully be relatively normal again, except it almost seems as though nature is turning against her in this hiatus. And in her room, she drops her pendant with the W on it. And when she goes to grab it, like by the side of her bed, she realizes that wayward, the word wayward has been carved into her floor. And I'm guessing that was by her mother before her death. Chapter nine, we're back to Kate. And Kate recalls the first time she left Simon, 
um, which was after he threw scalding hot coffee on her. He convinced her to come back by saying he was going to kill himself, and she didn't want that feeling of what happened to her father to happen with Simon. So she went back, and she went back to him, and literally the night she got home, the abuse just started up again and then continued on through their six-year relationship. So back at Wayward now, like back to the current time, she was so scared by all the birds, she almost went back to London, but realizes because of the baby, he would never, ever, ever let her go. So instead, she decides to stick it out at Wayward. She goes to the grocery store, and the woman there talks about how Wayward Cottage was Violet Ayers' place, and Kate says that she is Violet's great-niece. And the woman says she didn't know she had any living family, that all of the Ayerses and Waywards were gone, except for the old Viscount, of course, losing his marbles up at the big house. Who could the old Viscount be? And am I even saying that right? I don't know. Because we know, I'm pretty sure that Graham was also disowned, I thought they said, but I could be wrong about that. So we'll see if that ever gets uncovered. And then Kate says she's an Ayers, and then she and that she didn't realize Wayward was a family name, and the woman said it went back centuries. So I was wondering if Violet's mom was a Wayward, and that that means that Kate's dad was an Eggers since she had his last name, and that Violet had a son. Does that make sense? I'm hoping that I'm getting that all right, but kind of confusing there with the last names. Um, Kate says she thought um, Violet bought Wayward, but I don't think so because of the carving on the floor. She then, when she gets back to the cottage, starts looking through some of Violet's belongings and sees a picture of her from when she was young and realizes it looks just like her. Chapter 10, we learn that Ulfa and Grace had been friends all through their childhood. And when other kids were making fun of Ulfa for being poor and kind of like unique and witchy, you know, her mother was a midwife and like a lover of tinctures and potions. Grace was always by her side. And then one night, Grace's mother was truly on the verge of death. And so Grace came to Wayward Cottage crying, asking for help. Her mother agreed and they went and Grace's father almost stopped them because he thought that they carried evil, like witchy evil. And then he said he would let her try. But if she died, the blood would be on Alta's mom's hands and she died. So the rumor starts swirling around town and Grace and Alta didn't see each other for seven years because Grace's father forbade her from seeing her. In chapter 11, Violet is getting more and more intrigued by the word wayward and starts to believe it was her mother's last name. She tells Graham to keep watch as she investigates in her father's study and in there she finds a feather and a handkerchief embroidered with E.W., Definitely for Wayward again, but maybe Elizabeth, because that's Violet's middle name. She then steals the feather, which is obviously very risky and could be what maybe gets her disowned. Um, Then she goes to visit Goldie, her spider, which again is just so cute. And then another connection to Alpha, who had the spider visit her in prison. Then Frederick, her cousin, comes by and he's one of the only boys she's ever seen. And there's clearly a bit of a spark, even though that's very odd because they're, they're cousins, obviously. In chapter 12, um, I was I said I was pretty mad because that's all we're going to get from Kate's point of view in this chunk. And I need to know what the hell is in Vi- Aunt Violet's bureau in the box that she found and what she's hiding. So very excited to read more today. Um, Kate calls her mom to let her know where she is. And we learn that they have a very strained relationship ever, ever since her father's death. We learn that Graham is Kate's grandfather, which we could have deduced, but still. So that makes sense. So I was wrong. Graham is Kate's grandfather. Anyway, Kate explores the garden around the garage a bit and starts to open up to the idea of loving nature again when she stopped doing that after her dad died. She finds a cross in the ground with RIP written in it. Whose grave could that be if it's even anyone's? And then she finds the bureau in the attic, which I already talked about. 
the last chapter that we read, chapter 13, Grace Melbourne takes the stand and tells us what happened when John died. John was her husband. There was a weird look between Alpha and Grace when Grace said she didn't have any children, I noted. And then she said that John and the Kirkby boy, which is interesting because isn't there a Miss Kirkby in Violet's timeline? Just saying. Um, John and Kirkby were out feeding the cows and dealing with the farm that they lived in when Kirkby started screaming and Grace ran outside and saw John completely battered in awful condition and dead. Then Ulfa came out of the woods asking what happened. And this wasn't unusual as she walked in the mornings near the farm, Grace said, but still, and that's all we know for now. So I am obsessed, you guys. This book is already so unique, haunting, eerie, and entrancing. And I need to know so much more about all of these women. And there are just so many cool connections between all three of them and their timelines and so many magical realism elements. So a few questions for you guys to ponder as you're reading the next, you know, bigger chapter or bigger chunk. What does the distaste for alcohol mean? Is it something to do with the fact that they're all like really nature loving women and really like drawn to nature and alcohol is almost like anti nature and like kind of like poison in a sense? Is that why they all like have this distaste for it? Are these women actually witches or do they just love nature? Like, is there some sort of a witchy element to them? And even if there is, is that such a bad thing? They're all related, but how are they all so connected? Like, what is this common thing? Like, obviously, there's some generational stuff going on, but what is it that makes them all like have these similar things continuing to happen to them? Like, are they all the same woman just like reincarnated through different different time periods? Why did Graham and Violet get disowned? And did Graham get disowned or am I just reading that wrong? I'm not sure. Who killed John Milburn? Was it Alpha or was it someone else? Will Simon find out Kate is at Wayward? And then what's up with the significance of the crows and of birds in general at Wayward? Alpha's mom had a crow on her shoulder in one scene. And is that the same crow that is there now? So those are all just some things that I'm thinking about. And now I can just briefly discuss what we talked about in the poll questions this week too. So first of all, I asked where you all were in the book and 52% of you said you still needed to get it. So I hope you all have gotten your hands on a copy now and you're enjoying it so far. 12% said you had started it, but you were not yet up to chapter 14. 16% of you said you were caught up to chapter 14 for today's episode. And 20% of you said that you were ahead of the curve, like ahead of chapter 14, or you had finished. Then I asked, what point of view are you enjoying the most so far? 64% of you said Violet, 27% of you said Kate, and 9% said Ulfa. I actually think I'm going to have to say Kate because I I always say this, like I do love historical fiction, but I love when things are, you know, in current times too. What I'm really liking about Kate is I think she's going to be the missing piece and how we kind of like, there is definitely like a mysterious element involved here. So I think with Kate, she's going to be like our missing link to solving everything, like with whatever is in Violet's bureau. Um, and she's going to be the one who like uncovers everything for us. So I'm really enjoying Kate personally. Love Violet. She seems so cool. And again, is going to be, I think all of them will be like missing links in a sense, but I really like that she's kind of like her own person. Then Alpha, we somehow have a murder mystery going on, which I know we didn't want a thriller and it's not a thriller, but we do have that mystery, which is really, really fun to read too. So all three I'm intrigued by for sure. 
Then I asked, do you think Ulfa actually had something to do with John Milburn's death? 71% of you said no, and 29% of you said yes. Either she did it to help Grace in some way because she still like loved her as a friend and she wanted to help her like maybe John was being abusive or something, or she did not have something to do with it and she's just being completely stereotyped because of like her her mom being like sort of witchy and for technically she didn't but like people in the town think that she killed Grace's mother when all she was trying to do was help. Then I asked tell me your thoughts on the significance of the crows and birds and the women being enamored by nature and then Noelle responded that there were earth witches of some sort which could definitely be the case like maybe these women are so intrigued by these birds because like they have this weird like witchy connection with them there's a lot a lot that we have to uncover that i'm really excited about then i asked do you think violet ends up with frederick 67 percent of you said yes 33 percent said no that could be another reason she gets disowned but it almost seems like her dad is setting her up with frederick on purpose but i don't and maybe he's like really disgusted that she wants to be with her cousin and that's why he disowns her but we're gonna have to wait and see Will Simon find out Kate is at Wayward? 100% of you said yes. I agree. I think that's a really like common climax, like at the end of the book that I could see coming. Like Kate is finally figuring all of this stuff out about her heritage and the women who went before her. And then Simon finds her there because the mom told him because like maybe she was worried about her. That's sad, but I can see that happening. And then I said, how, um, any, additional thoughts like anything else you want to say and someone said I love a good thriller but I am loving this book so far so happy this was the pick and I am so excited you think so too so cool to get people out of their comfort zones I had similar comments for the past two months of people saying thrillers are not typically books that I read but I've been really enjoying this thriller so it's cool for thriller lovers to now enjoy a book that's outside of their comfort zone so that's really really cool to me then um One of my good friends on here who always is a great commenter said, eek, I don't have the book yet and can't wait to catch up. Can't wait to have you reading this book with us and talking about it with you every week. I absolutely love. Then I put a little poll, like how much are you enjoying it? And everyone said the highest amount they were enjoying it, um, the farthest you could pull that little bar. So that's awesome. And that's really all I have for today. I am loving Wayward. Please, please be following me on Instagram. I'll be doing more polls this week. And as you're reading, I would love to just hear from you in general without the poll. Feel free to message me at any time. Tell me your thoughts. Tell me your questions. And we can talk about them all here on the podcast. So thank you guys so, so much for listening. This is another great week of recording. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode. And I cannot wait to discuss at our halfway point of Wayward with by Amelia Hart for next week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. And I'll talk to you then. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. 
You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.